Welcome to the California Probation Connection, a podcast by the Chief Probation Officers of California. I am your host, CPOC Executive Director, Karen Pank. In today's episode, I spoke with Chief Issa Eman Krause from Contra Costa County and Chief John Keene from San Mateo County about the perceptions and realities around the rise in crime. So welcome. Today's our topic is going to be a broad one. So I'm really looking forward to jumping into it. It's about really the global landscape and the discussion around crime Mm. and the perception of crime and what's happening here in California. Uh, It seems crime is more and more starting to, you know, rise uh, in the voters consciousness. Um, That's not unusual necessarily, you know, getting up to an election. Um, And it's a true statement that over the past decade, we've had several reforms and changes to our system, you know, SB 678, AB 109, Prop 4757, the list goes on. There are voices on both sides of the pendulum, right? And I want to jump right into it. We hear a lot about there's a rise in crime. Um, You know, we hear that maybe it's just a perception. Mm. Um, And so what's accurate? What are we seeing? Uh, We'll start with you, Chief So I will tell you, this is a very interesting topic for me on a lot of levels. One, uh, the history minor in me from college will tell you that we live in the safest time in modern history, right? By bar none. I mean, it's it's just, it's no question about that. But with crime, it's around perception. And I think I've put a lot of thought into this question to think about why, why do we feel like crime is on the rise? I think for me, it's really about this, this idea that crime has become a lot more personal right now. In a lot of ways, what happens is I think people are able to separate themselves from certain aspects of crime. And it's a lot about what we count, too. If you look at the FBI data around what they what they actually count into the major indicators and markers of crime. True. A lot of those things are down. Homicides are down. Uh, a lot of strong arm robberies, um, a lot of violence, uh, crimes like domestic violence, rape, things of those nature are down. But the average citizen doesn't really connect with those things because they put themselves in the mind frame that something must have been going on in that person's life for them to have this happen to them. So the average person walks around really oblivious to that type of crime. But you know what they really think a lot about? It is those quality of life things. And that's why I think today the average person you talk to will say that crime is on the rise. I can walk into my local grocery store or my Target and watch a snatch and grab happen right in front of me there's a really high probability that my car will get broken into right now, right? So there's a change in how you see it. It's about how it feels to me on a personal level. So I think that when you start to tie that to an election year and people are now using their votes as a way to speak their mind, I think you get this sense that crime is on the rise. I worry about it because I see it. I I hear about it. You know, you go on the phone and talk to your friends and they see things or they know people. So it's become a lot more personal. And I think that's how you can take this kind of question of what perception feels like and really break it down to a way that folks kind of feel like, you know, that makes sense to me. Because, you know, that person who was murdered, something had to be going on for that person to be in that type of situation. But I can just walk right outside and find my car broken into. Or I could be, heaven forbid, my mother could be coming home from the grocery store and get followed home you know, for a robbery at home. So it's a very different space today. Yeah, that's really interesting. Chief Human Krause, what do you think? Is it perception, reality, somewhere in between? 
So I think it's somewhere in between. And I think that the pandemic magnified mm. it. So locally in Contra Costa County, our arrests remained really stable from 2011 until 2019. And then in 2020, we saw a dramatic decrease by almost 37% in arrests. Now, arguably, that's because of the pandemic, right? But what you did see was the proportion of arrests for violent and serious crimes increased. So while it looks like an uptick in violent crime, the number of arrests for violent crime were still much lower than in prior years. So I think when that proportion is is higher, it's it's a an easily manipulated statistic. Mm. And to, to Chief Keene's point, when politics come into play, I think it's also an easy political bargaining chip mm-hmm. to to perhaps, um, you know, talk about how reform isn't working or how reform needs to go further. And so, you know, <laughs> while there is some reality to the fact that violent crime um has has been consistent proportionately it's still much proportionally it's higher even if um the actual data indicates that it's lower mm-hmm. it's really interesting and a, kind of describing a perfect storm really and and that's kind of where we are right now and so sometimes in those situations we see a lot of um, knee-jerk reactions. Yes. We see a lot of changes that might take us backwards. You know, I sometimes feel like we're in a time machine right now. There's a lot of what's going on in the debate yes. that feels very familiar to yes. me. Um, we're, we're in the 80s all over again. Right, exactly, uh, without, you know, the music playing, right? Yes. So, um, so, but what do we in probation specifically, you know, kind of need to be thinking about? What are you thinking about as you're talking to your um, staff around how to kind of keep from maybe getting sucked into this perfect storm? So one thing that really is noteworthy to me that I keep raising in various conversations is how much this reduction in arrests has magnified also the disproportionality that we're seeing. So we are seeing a far greater number of felony arrests for violent crimes among our black and brown males, particularly Mm -hmm. youth. Um, And so that's one thing that I think really needs to be lifted up also when you're having policy discussions, um, when you're talking about policing practices. And that's something that we spend a lot of time talking about internally because it does impact, um, particularly on our institutions, um, you know, how we, how we, um, uh, serve those young people, how we program those young people, you know, what our practices are to be more of a barrier at the threshold, if you will. Um, and so really then focusing on, you know, once they do come into our care, what services and, and programs do we have in place to aid in rehabilitation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, because in probation, we need to, we often say, right, that, you know, we don't choose who comes to us or who works, who we are working through, who comes through the door. Um you know, but we can really impact public safety by what we do once Definitely. they get there. Absolutely. So, you know, Absolutely. thinking about how you keep your, uh, you know, your your team, your department, you know, kind of focused on that part mm-hmm. of it, especially when politically there's just so much, you know, fervor to kind of go to one end of the extreme or the other. Do you have any thoughts on that, Chief Keen? You know, I think uh, Chief Emmons Krauss' comments about disproportionality is so important in this conversation because, there, there is a very specific part of this system that we do have ability to control or we have ability to have influence on. And what we try to do in our space is really focus our staff on what we can control. There's a lot of politics out in the world. There's a lot of things happening uh, in our county. We are uh, we're very much a very, um, I would say, conservative county around crime. And so safety is really important to us. And that messaging is something that we, we hear a lot of. 
And so what I try hard to do with our staff is to help them understand what our space is and why it's important that the space we occupy, we do it in a very mindful way, that our intention is to make sure that we make choices that not only support public safety, but at the same time, recognize why we're here, which is to really help people uh, get to a space where they can have better outcomes. I often tell the story uh, when I talk about probation publicly is that the difference between probation today versus when I first started 20 plus years ago was that really we were in the rehabilitation business primarily back then. Everything was really this idea that um, people just had a bump in the road and we just need to pick them up, dust them off and put them back. The reality is in today's world, we spend more time habilitating folks than we do rehabilitating. What we do is we are helping people gain skills they didn't have in the first place. We're helping them look at the world in a different way that they didn't really have connections to. So this idea that everyone who comes through our door just simply needs to be dusted off and put back on the road is not the same. And so to, to your point, that conversation with the staff is really around that. It's really, um, as Chief E. McCraw said, being that stopgap to help that person kind of figure out what's needed for them to move forward but also recognizing that people all change at a different rate. And so that process may take time, which is now also hampered by a limited time that we have to work with people. So so that's a, it's a great, it's a great indication of what you said earlier about knee jerk responses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The 1150 debate to me is a perfect example of we're at a critical time in history where we need to be spending more time with people helping them, not less time. But we find ourselves really now handicapped in a lot of ways because there was a lot of knee-jerk responses, and that does worry me about our future. Well, let's let's dive into that for a minute. I want to follow up on something mm-hmm. you said there, and I, I think you're referring to AB 1950, which yes. passed, um, I think now two years ago, mm-hmm. which uh, changed uh, probation terms to be a hard stop felony probation at two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, it uh, was three, sometimes up to five, depending. And uh, of course, there was more discretion yes. for the courts at the, to make some decisions about uh, and let's let's not forget, probation is in lieu of incarceration, right? It mm-hmm. is the ultimate alternative to incarceration, yes. uh, and so those things. Uh, and that was a that was a policy that we had opposed. And and interestingly enough, you know, I think too much surprise to folks because we really have come out. I think, you know, it's one of the things that I know I'm most proud of being associated with and trying to find solutions, which sometimes might mean reform is is good and kind of getting away from status quo. But we also at times will oppose things when we think it may go too far. So that particular issue really kind of hits at accountability. So trying to, again, balance that, can you talk a little bit about why accountability is so important when you're talking about rehabilitation? Accountability is a principal part of rehabilitation. Ultimately, what you want to have is an opportunity for people to see that whatever that behavior was and whatever the reasons that led them to that behavior, there, there was consequences and repercussions to people uh, on the other side of that. And so having this balanced approach is part of the way in which an individual, as they start to turn their lives around, really are able to think about their future in a different way. It's interesting when we're young, we don't see ourselves in the opposite end of those conversations. Uh, but as we age and we mature a little bit, we understand that at times we could be the person on the other side. We could be the person who's being now victimized. And so it's easier to put ourselves in the place of the people we work with or the people that we may have hurt 
when we can see ourselves that way. So accountability, I think, connects with that in, in an integral way. I think absent accountability and you just say everything is just rehabilitate, rehabilitate, there doesn't have that, that connection that's lost makes it unsustainable. Because ultimately what accountability also does, and especially the way probation works really well, is when we're able to give you supports that helps you make good positive choices because those stressors come in our lives, right? We know that things happen. Those stressors will come back again. And so ultimately, how do we keep those stressors in place? You, you know, the it makes me think of, you know, when we talk about accountability, we talk about rehabilitation, you know, and that balance again, and or moderation maybe is another way to look at it. And I think about, you know, hey, you know, we know that sometimes um, a glass of red wine is okay, but the whole bottle in one night is not, you know? And so, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, a lot of rehabilitation and programming might be okay, but sometimes too, even too much of that, if it's not tailored appropriately, if it's not responsive, you know, can you maybe share with us a little bit more of like some of the experiences, Chief Human Krause, that maybe you've seen work well, some successes around kind of trying to balance both the rehabilitation and the accountability aspects of our job? Well, locally, we have found that SB 678 has been incredibly beneficial. Um, It really did two things. Not only did it um, encourage or demand, I should say, probation departments to adopt and implement evidence-based practices, it also got us all much more comfortable operating from a more data driven decision-making standpoint, right? Because now it's that much more imperative that we're capturing client outcomes and capturing program performance successes, right? Which now it's moved us to a position where many departments are also embarking upon performance-based contracting models also. So it's like we've taken what we know needs, what we know works with our clients, um, measuring success and really being incentivized right, for measuring success and and also incentivizing therein our clients' success as well and holding that same philosophy with our contracted service dollars, right, which makes our dollars go further. It makes our dollars be that much more impactful to our clients and ultimately produces much greater outcomes for our clients and greater public safety outcomes as well. That's a great point. An interesting, you know, concept, right? Taking what we're doing with, you know, individuals and also kind of applying it across policies, practices of the department as a whole. So let's um, certainly don't want to dwell too much on the negative, but let's talk about when it doesn't work, you know. And so Chief Human Krause, I'll start with you. Um, Where does, where have you seen this breakdown and maybe why? So I've seen it break down when that doesn't happen. When research isn't followed, when the science and methodology behind what we do and how we serve our clients isn't followed, and quite frankly, when the subject matter experts, i.e. probation, isn't included in that conversation because there's a lack of thought and consideration given to adequate implementation, planning, training necessary for our staff, the inevitable culture change that is required and culture shift that is required among our staff for many of these reform efforts, 
And when we're not brought to the table to have those conversations, and when these reforms are not properly resourced with not just money, but also time, you can't just throw dollars at problems always, right? Mm -hmm. But when we, when the subject matter experts, when we aren't in those conversations, reform fails. We need to be part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Such a great point. And, you know, that's probably holds true for both at the state level, which of course we are very involved in uh, with, with CPOC. And I know you both have given a lot of your time statewide to kind of help shape those policies. But even in the local conversations, whether it's local policy or even some of the, the cases individually that your officers are working on, it's a, it's a really great point. Uh, Chief Keene, do you have some thoughts on on that, some examples for um, of where <clears throat> this is important, um, where maybe you've seen things fail and what some of those outcomes are when we're not maybe at the table and policies are, are kind of put together that put our folks in tough spots? You know, and I think Chief Eamon Cross put a, laid down a, a really great example of what it looks like in a larger space, but let me kind of make it a little bit more local. I think we have to also consider that this kind of ability to be a part of that process has to also extend at the local level as well. There needs to be collaboration between the justice partners and the system partners, as well as the community at the local level. Uh, what I've seen is when, for example, um, and I'll use Chief Eamon Cross's term about the experts not being at the table, I think when you bring people in at the local level even to substitute for the people who actually really know the work, um, a lot of times decisions are made and it really results in, frankly, a uh, poor utilization of resource dollars. So I can give you good examples of where, for example, probation as a system partner was cut out of decisions around service delivery for our clients, people that we work with directly. It was primarily focused around, let's say, other non-law enforcement entities. Mm -hmm. The result ultimately, unfortunately, was that there was a lot of wasted resources, both financially, time, and ultimately, the people that needed to be served didn't receive the types of supports they needed for long-term success. Anyone can count for a couple of weeks and say that people showed up and everything was wonderful. But ultimately, what's the longitudinal result of those, in, those uh, processes and those actual application of funds? And so when you cut us out at the local level, you don't have the people really who have the expertise and the investment in not only building something, but actually making sure that it's sustainable um, you see, I think in a lot of ways, um, more detrimental impacts than even what you see at the state level, because it's really right there, boots on the ground, where you see the the, uh, the mishaps happen. And what it results in, to, the, to get to your question in a more matter-of-fact way, it results in recidivism. It's, a re it's the revolving door. The revolving door happens because someone at the local level is ultimately not you know, having the level of supports they need from a total systemic approach. And when you, you know, when you substitute folks or take people out of that who are critical parts of the mission, you're not going to have long term success. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, and ironically, it strikes me as that's exactly what we're talking about. That's mm -hmm. the name of the podcast, The Connection. Uh, we've talked a lot uh, at the statewide level about the importance of probation connecting to so many different aspects of it. Um, and that's why it's important, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's why uh, crime is complex. It's not necessarily a yes no it's it's mm -hmm. it's complex and you have to you know kind of look at all of those different pieces probation seems to touch all of them they seem to collaborate with almost every partner that ends up kind of bringing some of the solutions to the table well and let me say this i mean what you're describing is the probation connector puzzle right mm -hmm. when we think about that that's the first thing that comes to mind 
But I think also, too, when you think about it, we all share these families at the local level. Most times, nobody wakes up and says, you know what, I'm going to commit a crime today. Right, in a silo. Yeah, in a Mm -hmm. silo. It just doesn't happen that way. There are a lot of decision points through that young person or that adult's life where interventions could have happened, right? And so I think the thing that probation does really well is when given an opportunity to provide an intervention, we can fit into that space in a very dynamic way. And sometimes it's through accountability. Sometimes it's through uh, enhanced resources. It's wraparound services that we do really well. Um, I think we see a lot in the juvenile, but I can say okay. it's going into adult as well, Absolutely. right? So we do a lot of that work on the natural. And so we, we, can't, we can't look at these things in a silo either. It has to be that crime happens in a very dynamic way, but at the individual level, people just don't decide I'm going to go commit crime today. They, there was a, you know, antecedent, you know, not to get too technical, but there was an antecedent that led to that. Right. 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 And it's how do we get to that and how do we we do the work that's necessary? And I think that probation is pretty well suited to be in those spaces. One, I'll say another thing where I've seen reform, maybe not fail, but stumble is when a one size fits all approach right. is, try, is is rolled out or expected to be applied among counties. And mm-hmm. as we know, particularly around the CPOC table, some of the smaller counties are far less resource. I'm in an incredible position of advantage being in the Bay Area, yes. as is Chief Keen, right? And so we have resources and programs and service providers and non-governmental partners that are at our, you know, at our tables with us, partnering with us, kind of at our disposal, if you will, um, that our smaller counties just don't have. So yes. when these blanketed approaches get rolled out for reform or, or various initiatives, you know, our smaller counties are really at at a disadvantage. And then they are, to Chief, Ke- to Chief Keen's point, doing it themselves, right? right? They, they are the ones providing the services. They are the ones, you know, they're not contracting some of these programs out. And so I think really realizing and recognizing that one of the really unique components of probation that I am just so incredibly passionate about and committed about is the fact that we are able to individualize our programming and not yes. just at the client level, but even at a, at a county level. Yes. Well, and that's the, just to add, I think that's the interesting rub of when you see elements of evidence-based practices put into legislation, mm-hmm. because you you say you want something to be evidence-based, but then you make it one size fits all, right. which is completely anti-evidence-based. There's no responsivity consideration at all in that. And mm-hmm. so you are pretty much what you've done is made it just a buzzword, but actually having given you know, whoever it is the opportunity to actually implement it. In a very tangible way. And that's really the issue with 1950 also, right? Because when you look at evidence-based practices and the dosage component, but then you're just saying two years max period for felony, one year max period for for misdemeanors, it's like, what happened to the dosage principle? How how are we court? How are we connecting risk level here? See, see, there you go trying to use logic. Again. See, that's just the that's just not what we're here. For. That's right. We're talking policy making, <laughs> and, and that doesn't right. always have the logic associated with it. But one of the things that you've pointed out, and we've had this debate at our table uh, a lot, is at the heart of what I think we find we in probation oftentimes the most frustrating about policy making and some of the decisions that get made around us is it's often devoid of implementation considerations and often whatever change is brought to bear it's probation that's really asked to then kind of implement and live with those consequences Mm -hmm. so you know implementation is is kind of well as as i'm learning as well a science in and of itself so any thoughts around how 
more thoughtful implementation discussion can actually improve our outcomes and concerns and perceptions around crime. This is where I go back to AB 109. So I think that when you think about all the challenges that we faced with implementation of AB 109, the greatest thing that we were given was time and an actual implementation period plan and resources to make sure that that happened in the right way. When you can implement knowing that you're going to have the resources there, you can take time to pull people to the table. You can work through some of the you know misperceptions and concerns that folks have. Heck, the reality is we know that for many of us, AB 109 was the first time we sat across from our social service director or our mental health director, right. you know, or even talked with our sheriff or DA in a more regular kind of space. But that was where the magic happened, to be perfectly frank. Having time to do that, in essence, becomes team building. It becomes policy decision uh, creation. Um, it's capacity building, which is something I know we talk a lot about mm-hmm. when we think mm-hmm. about uh, community-based organizations and non-governmental entities, this idea of building capacity. What a reality is, capacity building needs to happen, I think, even at the governmental level when you have to do something major like you know implement a new policy. It allows you to course correct. It does. I mean, because you have time to see what's happening. Oh, guess what? That doesn't work. Right. So let's try something different. You know, trying to, and it also had getting time to get the right people at the table. We remember those first couple of meetings, the, all the wrong people were at the table, yep. you know? And it took time to get the right people or the right layers of folks at the table, right? It may not have been the administrator that was going to be the one who could really make good decisions. It needed to be maybe second, third level down. But that became because we had time to do implementation the right way. So I I just, if we have implementation time, I firmly believe we can do anything. Well, and I would say uh, being there, uh, at least at the state level during that, even time that you're suggesting we had in AB 109, you know, wasn't that great. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about a long uh, ramp up. And, you know, it is one of the things that I think is a huge strength of probation. We evolve, we recalibrate, we can really, um, we can do reform well. But again, the time needed for implementation is important. I could tell that you were chomping at the bit as well to kind of talk a little bit about implementation, you know, things. Uh, What would you want to add to the conversation? Well, I would just add that I think that that is what I'm hearing to be the biggest stumbling block of SB 823 and SB 92 with the the realignment of the Division of Juvenile Justice and and that responsibly back to counties. And, And repeatedly we're hearing chiefs and facility administrators say, you know, we think this is a great idea. We could absolutely make this happen if we had more time to plan for it. Mm. And I think that's where we're going to see the unintended consequence of more young people getting remanded to the adult system, because even the courts, while they support the programs locally in concept, recognize the programs have not had time to mature. And so without that adequate you know, planning time to implement an effective program, course correct accordingly, make sure you have the right people at the table to plan it. You know, I don't think it's going to fail because quite frankly, I've said it before, probation will let things fail. Like we make things work. That's kind of our mantra. Like we'll make it work, which I think is why we continually get leaned on and and taxed on for things like this. Um, But it it would be so much better and so Mm -hmm. much stronger if we were able to have implementation time. Well, 
this is perfect as if I had planned it this way, but I did not. You just gave us a little bit of a teaser on another podcast that we're going to take that deeper dive. So that is a perfect, perfect. place for us to kind of um, bring our conversation to a close here. I mean, I think you both have raised some really important points around why probation's voice needs to be heard in the discussion around crime and what that means in our communities and and sometimes what it doesn't mean, right? So yes. we need to we need to be thinking about those things. And I really appreciate you sharing your time with us today on some of those really important comments. Very interesting discussion. I think we all have to continue to be careful about the pendulum swings that we keep hearing about. We have to stay balanced in our approach. Um, and, you know, accountability does truly matter to our communities and our ability to make rehabilitation work is all of the, I'm a student, so that's what I'm taking away from the teachers here today. And I, and I hope our listeners do as well. I'm sure you would w- love to give a shout out to, we are coming up on an important week for probation. And so since we're hoping the listeners are all of those and, you know, made up in, of uh, your teams, uh, with probation services week coming up. Give a shout out to your peeps. Oh, I just want to say, I mean, we could not do this work without without the amazing staff, both sworn and non-sworn, that support these efforts. So hope that all of our staff feel the appreciation and recognition that they so deserve. Absolutely. Um, Definitely specifically, I want to give a huge shout out to my staff back in San Mateo County. Uh, We have really, uh, I think the best way to put it is we have found ways to make things work that should not work just to be perfectly frank. <laughs> but it's because we have a great team of people who are dedicated to this work. They're dedicated to making people's lives better. And I commend them every single day and I'm inspired by them every day. So absolutely. As am I. So thank you both, uh, Chief Keen, Chief Human Krause, for sharing your time with us today. And thank you all for listening to the California Probation Connection. Thank you. Thank you.